Gotta suck that one up. Careful. It's foaming. It's foaming. Mm. Pour that into that cup. And just marvel at the fact that there's a stout of that color. How did you get the entire thing full of head? There's no beer. There's just head. <laughs> Tip the I'm cup, you Neanderthal. <laughs> All right. Uh, welcome to oh, wow, Drink to the Past. Yeah, this is a stout. Can't you tell by the eight inches of head? <laughs> it's got the head of a stout, but the uh, body color of a... Of a cream soda. Yeah, apparently it's a white stout, which is a style that apparently some breweries have ever done. But none around here. This is the first white stout I've ever found. But when I saw it in the store, I was just like, I have to try that because, you know, it's dragon's milk. Uh, so Chris is drinking dragon's milk white, which is a white stout by New Holland Brewing Company. I'll let you know what I think of it once uh, I'm able to actually take a drink. Right, yeah. And I have Lili Koe Kepolo, which I don't think I've had on the podcast before, but I don't remember right now. Uh, Avery Brewing Company makes this. This is actually quite an interesting one. It's a Belgian-style white ale, which is, like, a little bit tart, but I wouldn't call it a sour. Uh, but it's kind of got some interesting kind of sp- Spicish notes as well. So it's actually, this is really good. I've had this before. Mm-hmm. We'll have to give that a shot one of these days. Yeah. There's another one in the fridge if you finish that stout. I use that term loosely. It's just amazing. But you know what's funny though is that actually that one looks like lighter than the one that I had when I bought that pack. But uh, I thought it was interesting that, like, like a normal stout, you could like hold it up to the light and you can't really see through it like a normal stout even though it's like a clear color you still can't see through it yeah which i thought was kind of interesting it looks pretty light until you look on it through yeah. it straight on and it's not even cloudy it's still mm-hmm. yeah like like this thing you can't see through because it's cloudy as shit yeah uh but it's it's pretty good um also, also i think it's interesting that dragon's milk makes anything less than 10 percent. that's only like a six and i'm like are you sure that, you can call it dragon's milk? I'm like, that. that's pretty lightweight for uh, dragon's milk. Yeah. Also, I am Chris, no last name, Audette, the returning champion of uh, this podcast. Yeah. Returning after a too many week absence. Yeah. S- several. <coughs> uh, and then due to equipment failure, I couldn't get anybody else on the podcast. So I'm like asking around just local people that I'm like, hey, you want to come over to my house and record this podcast? And most people were like, I got shit that I'm doing and I was like dang it because uh, sorry own- Friday is my drug night uh, I do drugs that night you and your drugs yeah yeah anyway um, yeah so drink that beer and you'll be like wow that tastes like a stout that tastes kind of like I would expect a light stout to taste yeah but it's it's like huh. it's good and but like looking at it you would never guess that it tastes like that would you yeah, I, I don't think it's going <laughs> to fill me up in the same way stouts usually yeah, would. Yeah, maybe not. Huh. <laughs> but yeah. Always excited to have Dragon's Milk on the podcast. What do mm-hmm. you uh, rate that? That's pretty good. That's a, it's at least a 15. Mm-hmm. I'm going to 
going to put this one at a 15 as well, actually. Uh, this is, I'm, I'm going to say this is my favorite sour beer. It's not really a sour beer. It's just a little tart of juicy, kind of like fruity flavors and with a little bit of spice on the end. And then that kind of tartness. Not quite a sour, not quite a fruit, but... Uh... Yeah, it's something like kind of in between a fruit beer and a Saison and a sour. It's, it's kind of hard yeah, to I'll, describe. I'll yeah, you definitely... This is one to check out. Lili Koi Kepolo. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. But uh, yeah, check out Avery Brewing Company. Most things from Avery are good. Just like look them up as a brewery and drink all their beer. They make all sorts of good stuff. They make a few barrel-aged stouts as well, um, which are really good. Um, one of the few that I feel like I've had that is up to Dragon's Milk level, uh, some of them are from Avery. Because I feel like most of the time when people are barrel-aging stuff, they're just kind of hopping on the bandwagon that kind of Avery and New Holland sort of started. Yeah, and, and like none of them are bad. I don't think most beers are worse because they were barrel aged, but there, I feel none of like, them are really the kick in the testicles that. Uh, yeah, that's a good way of putting are. it. All They're right. more like a gentle tickle on the testicles. Yes, yes, a testicle. How if you will. gentle? <laughs> a test tickle. Ah, <laughs> uh, we have to drink. That was a dad joke. Fuck that was a dad joke. But like. An inappropriate dad joke, so that's like extra points. Okay, drink again. Like some dad, most dad jokes kind of have to be like kid appropriate because most dads have kids. You ever met a dad without kids? No. I mean, I'm sure that would be pretty tragic. I guess Woody Harrelson in Zombieland. Yeah. Yeah. Spoilers. I mean, I saw Zombieland too. Who hasn't seen Zombieland yet? That movie was good. Yeah, did you see Zombieland 2 yet? I have not seen Zombieland 2. It's pretty good. Uh, Not as good as the first one, but if you enjoyed the first one, you'll definitely enjoy the second one. Uh, So check that out, maybe. Anyways, we are now moving to a new topic, which actually, hold on, I almost skipped my other thing. Oh, I put these in the wrong containers. Oh, that's... I meant to put the beer in this glass, and then my... Sean drinks something stupid in the other glass, so now... Ah, fuck, I got a lot of head. Hmm. Kind of surprised Now we both have that problem. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think I was too hasty to pour. Ah, now it's spilling. Well, I'll lick it off the table. I had to use extra sound effects in my lick to make it obvious on the podcast that I'm licking on the table. It's even worse when you watch him. I'll drink to that. He's really going after that table. Mm. Mm. Well, sometimes when you spill a beer, you just got to make up, make out with a table for a while to, you know... Even the odds. Yeah. Show them... Repent for your sins. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So now that's not in there anymore. Anyway, now Sean drinks something stupid. This drink was recommended to me by a gay ex-cowboy. Uh... Not the football team, like an actual, like, he lived in Texas, and then he moved out of Texas because he's gay. It's not a great place for being gay. Yeah. Uh, at least that's all the rumors that go about. He's this guy I work with. I have no idea if any of the rumors are true, but, uh, you know, 
Why should I not believe rumors and then spread them on a podcast that he won't get listened to because I don't know if he knows how to use the internet? That's Anyways, this is called a white trash margarita. It is Mountain Dew and tequila. That According to him, it sound it, it tastes something like a margarita. So I guess I'm about to see if that works. Want to taste? I'm going to regret this. Probably. Sure. Does it taste like a margarita? No, it mostly just tastes like Mountain Dew. Mm-hmm. It's very trashy, though. With a little agave on the back, yeah. It's yeah. totally a white trash margarita. Yeah, uh, actually a little worse than just regular Mountain Dew. Yeah. Because um, I feel like the tequila has its own good, like, agave-ness, but this, I feel like that's actually not the part of the tequila that comes through on this. Mostly it's just that kind of turpentine back end. Yeah. It's, so uh, it's like Mountain Dew and turpentine. They go so, together like beads and twine. Yeah. I'm going to give that know. a, I'm going to give that a three. Wow. Like it. Minimum. Yeah. You, you, you just made Mountain Dew worse. Why did you do that? It's just worse, somewhat alcoholic Mountain Dew. Yeah. Like, if you're going to mix your Mountain Dew with something, go get some Irish whiskey. Hmm, I guess. Anyway, now we're going to move on to that thing that I said earlier that I interrupted myself halfway through. Um, also, you introduced yourself. I guess I didn't introduce myself. So now nobody listening to this podcast knows who I am, except for anybody that's ever listened to another episode. Yeah. Like, anyone. Yeah. Any other episode. Anyways, my name is Spamoman. I'm going by my internet name now, apparently, instead of my real name. So, do you think that sells more? Uh, I, I'm not a marketing guy. I just play the uh, harpsichord. Cool. Dian. I would play a harpsichordian. That sounds ridiculous. I, like I don't play any instruments. How dare you? Except the bass. Yeah, you have a bass. I was I about do have to say, bass. you have a bass. And all your bases are belong to us. And that I once threw up in. Ah, that's awkward. Did you clean it out? Nope. Mm. For all I know, it still has vomit in it to this day. You are Wherever fucked up weirdo. Is. Anyways, we're going to move on to our uh, segment of the podcast called Booze News. It's just the same as brief news stuff used to be, except now it's called Booze News because... We drink booze while we go over the news. I was also debating maybe we could call it news and booze. Which one do you like better? I kind of like news and booze. News and booze? Okay. It's going on the official podcast thingy. Okay. News and booze. Okay. There we go. It's terribly misspelled. Good. Just like you. Just Apparently. like I'm misspelled. Anyways, <clears throat> per first item on the docket, brief news stuff has been renames. Renames. Renamed. I've got a typo in my document. Uh, it's been renamed as booze and news, news and whatever we just said, because we didn't have enough excuses to drink. So now we have one more excuse to drink. I'll drink to that. <clears throat> and because you had a typo, we got to drink again. Yeah. Okay. I'll drink to that too. Mm. Uh, I can like taste and kind of an aftertaste on the. Uh... On the dragon's milk from that. That's awkward. From the, uh... Does the tequila go well with trash. dragon's milk? No. Oh. 
I would not recommend that mixture. You can uh, have a palate cleanser if you'd like. Want some uh, tequila? I, th- I think the... Uh, tequila cleanses your palate, right? I think... If you drink enough of it to black out and then wake up three days later? Yeah, then your palate will just taste a little vomity. Yeah. And uh, anything else will taste good by comparison. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Um... <clears throat> Okay, so actually, uh, we have like a crap load of news, and some of it is fairly outdated, because I actually have a interesting tidbit about Pokemon, which just released today, so by the time people are listening to this, actually a fair number of them might actually already be playing Pokemon Sword and Shield, but I thought it was interesting and worth noting anyway. In the new Pokemon Sword and Shield games, uh, Pokemon Centers will allow you to change moves at any Pokemon Center without any heart scales. Huh. So that's kind of neat. It's like you don't have to grind and kill 18 million love discs just to, you know, maximize the potential of your party by giving them moves that are not stupid. I feel like this is more of a positive than a negative. Yeah. I thought it was a kind of nice, convenient quality of life change. You know, it's like, okay, now we don't have to go through an annoying-ass process, and you can just do it whenever the hell you want instead of, oh, no, now I have to teleport to this one town, go to this one guy, and trade him an obscure item that I farmed by killing millions and millions of pink fish. Usually those annoying-ass processes are introduced as a way of, uh, you know, making you manage your resources better, but in Mm -hmm. this case, it wasn't really good at that. Yeah, it was just like... Here is the one use for this item in the whole of Pokemon. Now, now, in order to be competitive, you have to farm these items over and over and over and over in order to make your guys good or better or something. So it's like, yeah, why not? Uh, anyways, I guess not much to say on that. Did you get Pokemon yet? I have not got Pokemon yet. I hey. did see it released today and... I thought about it, and I thought, hey, no one appreciated that uh, that lost joke someone made about the lack of Pokemon in the Pokedex, hmm. where it was actually just the comic loss from Control-Alt-Delete. Hmm. I don't remember if I remember that one. I haven't read Control-Alt-Delete in a long-ass time. Uh, neither have I. Yeah, but we'd like to shamelessly plug that guy who makes Control-Alt-Delete. What's his name? Tim something? Tim, Tim Cad? Tim something. It's Tim. Tim Cad on Twitter, I think. Anyway, yeah. Um, look up Control-Alt-Delete comic on Google and you'll you'll find it. It's 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 pretty good. Good comic. It's, uh, it's like, <clears throat> or at least it was, you know, ten years ago when I read it, actually. I think it might have been that long. I, I did watch a video about what happened with it. Mm. Uh, it took some weird turns. It took some really weird turns. Cool. It's, uh, like, I guess uh, the main character, like, voiped himself out of existence. That does sound like something Ethan would do, doesn't and it? And that was, like, the end of the comic. Ah, it's ended now? I guess he rebooted it? I don't, I don't know. It was very... I still see him strange. post comics occasionally on Twitter, and I'll, like, read an odd one here or there. And I, but I don't actually pay attention to the context of what's going on within the comic. Because usually it's like, hey, I made this comic and it's like a spoof like of whatever game just came out or something most of the time. Uh, so maybe that's why. is because the comic is over. And maybe he just does spoofs now. I don't fucking know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, good comic that I don't read. Yeah. Shameless plug. Moving on. Uh, arcade, though. I haven't read much Penny Arcade lately. Huh. Uh, 
again, I follow both of them on Twitter, and every now and then they'll come up in my feed, and I'll be like, okay, yeah, I'll read a Penny Arcade, sure. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't read as many comics as I used to, because I used to keep comics. up with, like, yeah, a crap load of web comics and also a lot of uh, ambiguous legality manga prints. Scam. I mean, there's still like a bunch subs. of those out there. Yeah, I'm sure there are, but most of the sites that I used got taken down, and then I started questioning their legality even more. So I was like, "Yeah, I'll just I'll just stick away from them for now." And now also, I've got uh, Tyler's password to the Funimation streaming app. So now I'm like, okay, I can just sit here and watch One Piece for hours on end because <laughs> there's a lot of One Piece. I've oh. almost watched 500 episodes. Are you watching the four kids version? No. They don't have the four kids version because cool. it's Funimation. Good. <laughs> Why would they have somebody else? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, uh, next piece of news topic: Overwatch Two was announced at BlizzCon. Uh, so, are you still on the hate Blizzard train? I'm still on the Blizzard's been taken over and possessed by the devil, but uh, I'm not forcing your hand about talking about them or not. So, right. Yeah, I mean, I go, feel go like ahead. it's still kind of relevant. Also, did you hear uh, the end of that situation anyways with the dude? Uh, do you like... Because they did refund his prize money and reduced his uh, ban from a year to six months. Uh, apparently, part of the issue was that literally the guy before he entered the tournament was signed into a contract that says, I will not promote any political stances at the tournament or some such malarkey like that. So they kind of had to do something, but maybe they didn't do exactly the right thing. That's a kind of an awkward-ass situation, really. I'm like... So I feel like they were put in an awkward position. Signed in to the contract, but I still... It's still not the moral thing to do. I don't know. I'm I'm not... Again, I'm not out here to, like, tell other people how to behave. Right. I'm, I'm just... Doing, doing what I'm going to do. Yeah. But I, I feel like there was more to it necessarily than people realized at first, too. Cause it's okay. Like, I'd, I'd have to look at it more, but that might be a fair take. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. And it seems like a lot of BlizzCon was also portioned around, like, publicly stating, we're sorry, but we have some badass stuff coming out. Here, distract you from all this bullshit that's been going on with us. So, uh, they announced Overwatch 2. Uh, which I don't know if you've paid attention to any of that. No. no so I, I, Overwatch 2 is a story mode, and then the multiplayer mode is shared with Overwatch 1, and literally Overwatch 1 will get an update that makes it Overwatch 2 multiplayer. So if if you're not interested in the story, there's literally no reason to buy this whatsoever. Huh. Be which, like if they came out with a game called I'm not Team sure Fortress 2 where it had a story. Wait. Uh, Team Fortress 3. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Team Fortress 3. It's the same multiplayer, but now there's like a story mode that teaches you how to play all the classes or some shit. (laughs) Except the AI are probably like not all that good. So like you'll get a like a terrible idea of how to play a spy and you'll just be like, "Ooh, look at me. I'm the heavy. Oh, that guy's got the same name as me. And now he's shooting me. Oh, fuck. Oh, (laughs) He's shooting me with a pistol. <laughs> Why is Sean playing a spy? I'm not playing a spy. That must be the spy from the other team. Shoot him. <laughs> yeah. 
Team Fortress 2. That was good. Anyway, so what do you think about that? Like, is that a good thing that the multiplayer is literally shared? Uh, I'm, I'm not really sure what to feel about this, because it's like... I feel like basically why would they're I... packaging a story mode and calling it Overwatch 2 and selling it as that game. Yeah, but I which feel like I'm that's not... weird instead of just like it, it is weird. making an Overwatch story mode. Because also, I feel like calling it Overwatch 2 makes them easier able to justify a full game price tag. It's, it's deceptive, definitely. Yeah. Um... If and it the, wasn't it, called Overwatch 2, if it was like Overwatch Deluxe Edition or something like that, mm -hmm. or like a DLC for Overwatch, I mm -hmm. think it would be fine. Yeah. And I'm not like angry that this is the way that they're doing it. Maybe it's just a new, like, I don't know. Yeah. But it, it feels odd to me to make a quote unquote sequel to a multiplayer shooter that is the same multiplayer. Yeah, it's, like literally crossplay between Overwatch one and two. It's, <laughs> it's. They're uh, they're seeing what they can get away with. Yeah. Also, I feel like it also kind of shoots themselves in the foot for uh, the Switch version of Overwatch one because they announced Overwatch two is coming to Switch as well. So it's like, why would you buy Overwatch one on Switch now when you could wait? Pay the same price and get Overwatch One and a story mode. Uh, because you have the attention span of a small child, but the spending cash of a large adult—that—that's what determines how much money you make, right? Is like your size. Probably. I'm like medium fat, so I don't make much money. But if I was like really fat, I would make like buttloads of money, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you're skinny, so you're broke. Yeah, that's how that works. You've got no money. Ever. Never. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> also, they announced Diablo 4, which actually looks kind of badass. Uh, the trailer was like 14 minutes long or something, and I was like, why is it so long? But it was, it was pretty cool. So, I didn't watch all of it. I kind of got bored, and I was like, I'm going to see like all of the important parts of this again in the actual game. The thing I remember about Diablo 3 when it came out was it had the always online. I said, unless they remove that, I wasn't going to buy it. Yeah, that's a thing that I think they've announced is going to be in the Diablo 4. I, I feel like there was some game that announced that recently, and I feel like it was probably Diablo 4. So and that that would be an issue. To be fair, it was a lot of that had was motivated by me having like an absolutely terrible internet connection at the time. Right. But it's still like a hang-up for me. Right. On, on top of the it's, other shit Blizzard's pulled recently. And it's also just kind of like, why? Yeah. Like, it's a perfectly playable solo experience if you want it to be, I assume, based on the past three Diablo games. You know, it's a good multiplayer experience, too, but it's just as good. Like, I like it better as a, a local multiplayer thing anyway, uh, with Diablo 3 especially. Because in Diablo 2, we did a lot of... You know, that was just on PC. It wasn't on consoles. Uh, or it was it was on PC and Mac. Uh, so we actually had it on Mac, which was crazy. Back we got when they a, released games for yeah, Mac. Yeah, we got a third-party game from Mac. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was kind of cool. You know, because we do, you know, like, all hook up all three or four of our computers and play together. 
uh, and then land parties. Now those in, were the days. Yeah, and in Diablo three, it was kind of cool because uh, now it, it literally is just like one of those old kind of hack and slash games like Gauntlet. It I feel like actually it plays a lot like a new Gauntlet game on PS4, which y- y- isn't really a terrible thing. I'd like to see them come out with a new Gauntlet. Actually, yeah. I know they did. Um, a couple of years back, they came out with Gauntlet, but uh, the last Gauntlet I played was on Xbox 360. Was that Dark Alliance, or was that uh, oh. Seven Sins? Seven Sins sounds familiar. I feel like it wasn't called Seven Sins, but it was called something kind of like Seven Sins. So one of us is probably, but I, I feel like it was that one, whichever. Yeah. yeah, whichever one one of us is thinking of the title of, it's something along that line. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, uh. Yeah, we didn't play it very much. Uh, we played, like, a crap load of Gauntlet Legends on N64. Like, back when N64s were cool. Gauntlet Legends was cool. Yeah. And then they made, like, a slightly better remake on GameCube, too. Um, that was good. Um, and then, like, Champions of Nora. I feel like Dark Alliance was so similar hmm. to uh, Maybe. Legends. Maybe Dark Alliance was the name of the remake or something. It was, like, Dark Alliance and... Legends played almost identically, but Dark mm. Alliance had a bunch more levels. Okay, it might have had more levels, too. I don't remember. I don't know. Like, you know, forever. Yeah. I didn't actually have that one anyway. We had Gauntlet Legends on N64, and a buddy of mine had the GameCube version, uh, which I remember some of the levels were the same, like in the starting few levels, and that's all I remember. But it was fun. So, anyways, now that we're done with that... Uh, <clears throat> Kyle Hefley has been hired as the Retro Studios lead character artist for Metroid Prime 4. Uh, so that's kind of interesting because this guy, his previous uh, work as a character artist has included Watch Dogs and Halo 4 and 5. Huh. So I feel like Halo 4 and 5 are particularly going to be something he draws from that experience to improve the you know character designs in metroid uh so i think that could be kind of interesting uh i feel like the art is one of the places that those games kind of excelled because i didn't play halo 5 but i played halo 4 and i feel like the gameplay just felt like a slightly less good version of halo uh but it you know, that might just be... It, it, it was a different version of Halo, because obviously that was the first one where Bungie wasn't directly working on it. it it's funny how you your perceptions of games changes. It's, it's when, you come, when something comes out, you're like, oh, this is really good. And then mm-hmm. when they do a sequel of it, that's basically the same thing. You say, oh, this is... You, at least for me, a lot of the time, it's, oh, this is the same thing. Right. But... I feel like there's something subtle about it that usually makes it... Uh, that isn't just, it's the same thing. It's There's something subtle about it where it's actually kind of worse. Right. Yeah, that's a little bit how I felt with Halo 4. But also, I didn't play any multiplayer. I only played the campaign in Halo 4. Because it came out at a time in my life where I was like, shut in my home. I have a kid now. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to game with people. <laughs> so it was like... Uh, one of my go-to single-player games, and I played through most of the single-player story, and that was about it. Mm. Uh, but just, like, in general, the system didn't feel as fluid as uh, Reach, particularly, which was the last uh, Bungie-developed game. 
which was also, in my opinion, just the best Halo gameplay ever got. Uh, it's great. I, and I know they're re-releasing that. Uh, yeah, something... Uh, I guess I could have put that on here. Uh, it's some December sometime. Uh, I saw that. Um, and I think it's just coming to the Master Chief Collection as DLC or something, too? Uh, I don't know. I don't have an Xbox One. Um, if I had an Xbox One, I would be paying attention to this stuff because Xbox. Master Chief Collection would pretty much be... Like, of all the things on the system right now, I feel like Master Chief Collection is the biggest selling point for me. I would also buy, like, the Gears of War games. Uh, but other than that, there's not really anything drawing me, which is kind of why I don't own an Xbox One. Xbox One kind of is the redheaded stepchild of uh, the console generation. Yeah, current a little bit. Generation. It's kind of weird how that works, because, you know, last generation it was obviously Wii U, and it's like, uh, that totally flip-flopped, and now... Generation before that, yeah. it was PS3. <coughs> yeah. So, But at the same time, the PS3 ended up selling more units than... Uh, the Xbox. Xbox 360, 360 or Wii. Or Wii, yeah. Huh. Because uh, PS... Although part of that is because PS3, when it came out, was also, like, the cheapest way to buy a Blu-ray player because it came out at, like, an $800 price tag. But at that time, Blu-ray players were, like, 1000 to 1500 bucks. Yeah, it's only gotten So it was really yeah. sold more as a media machine than a gaming machine. Which I think drove the industry in an interesting direction because now most gaming machines are media machines. Obviously, the Xbox One touts all the 4K uh, streaming and you know 4K gaming on the Xbox One X and stuff like that, and PS4 Pro as well. And but also you know they're all uh, touting their streaming as well as that, and they've got hundreds of apps all over the place. You know, you can't go onto your dashboard on PS4 without seeing an ad for one of your apps. None of so, them are dedicated gaming machines except for the uh, Switch. Yeah, of which is kind of interesting, and then people complain about that because it doesn't have Netflix, and I'm like, you can watch Netflix on any fucking machine you have. Why do you need it on your Switch? Like, sure, I don't think there's any great reason not to have it on Switch, but also, if it was on Switch, I wouldn't use it because everywhere I take my Switch, I take my Chromebook. And my Chromebook has a bigger screen and a 1080p screen. So I would never use my Switch for this. Yeah, it's... And I feel like most people are in a similar situation. Or like, I'm at home, I will use my PS4 or my Chromecast and get higher resolution output if... And if there's any different, it will be better on a different device most of the time. So, yeah. I still have my giant-ass gaming PC. Why would I use Switch to watch Netflix? Yeah, there you go. Like, my computer, again. Like, my computer has a bigger screen. It's technically... I don't know what that runs at. That's It's kind of an old-ass one. I think it's sub-1080p. I think it's a 720p. I don't remember. Yeah. But Probably. it's a lot bigger than my Switch. Anyway... <clears throat> a leaker named Sabi or Sabi S A B I. I don't know who this person is, but uh, I've I've seen the name a couple of times with various Nintendo leaks. Has some fairly good track record of having uh, leaks be correct for Nintendo. Uh, but this person came out and stated that uh, internal plans for Nintendo are to release Breath of the Wild sequel in 2020. 
that is the game I'm second most excited for in 2020. Other than the... Bannerlord. Cool. I knew it was going to be something I hadn't heard of. Because <laughs> I was like, uh, okay, where do I do this to make fun of Chris? I was going to say Colonel Sanders dating sim, but that already came out this yeah, year. Yeah, that so came out yeah. this year. Yeah. I'm not looking forward to it anymore. Right, yeah. You already got that? <laughs> Hopped on board that gravy train? Uh, that gravy and mashed potatoes and corn train? <laughs> I don't have time for meme games anymore. <laughs> Except for really good meme games. Uh-huh. It looked interesting. If it gets a Switch port, I'm fucking buying it. But, uh... I feel like I'm... Probably not gonna boot up my PC for it. I feel like I might be obligated to buy it then. Right. If Colonel Sanders comes to Switch and you can date him on the go. <laughs> yeah, gotta... Uh, so anyways, Breath of the Wild 2, uh, possibly coming out 2020. Uh, but again, this is an internal plan, according to the leak... Um, we don't really know if the leak is accurate anyway, but, you know, a good track record has some possibility of being accurate. Okay, let's assume for the sake of argument it is accurate. Um, I think it'd do good in 2020, but as a Zelda fan, I know that even if that is their projected date, that it will probably get pushed back to 2021. So I don't expect it next year. Yeah, because the way they... Well, they were already building on a developed engine, so that makes things a bit easier. Yeah. But, so I mean, it would be Zelda three games, years, three they're... and a half years after the first one came out. So, eh, yeah. They could build a new game by then, sure, but I feel like they're going to put a little extra spit shine on it and maybe add some uh, Switch exclusive stuff, like HD Rumble, maybe. I have a hard time thinking of a Zelda game that had not been delayed. Uh,. That was any good except for Majora's Mask. Mm-hmm. Um, Triforce Heroes was nev- never had an announced delay. They might have had internal delays. I have no idea. I, uh... But, uh, that was pretty good. Although I'm, you know, the one guy that says that. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're the one guy who's played Triforce Heroes. <laughs> Yeah, I played it all by myself because I couldn't <laughs> find any. Actually, the last time I went online, that is totally true. The servers are completely dead. Nobody goes on anymore, which is kind of annoying because it's like it's I thought it was actually a really fun kind of online multiplayer thing. But anyway, I digest. Um, You think it'll happen next year? You think it matters if it happens next year? Uh, I think it has a better chance of happening next year than most other Zelda games. But I also think yeah. it's a Zelda game, so that means delays, generally. Right, yeah. And also, like, if that's their projection, like, was that pushed back? <laughs> it, it might have already received delays in order to be hit there. Anyway, uh, now into some Super Smash Brothers things. Um, so there was a possible leak of some me costumes... Uh, of some marshmallow dude from Super Mario RPG that I was like, who's that guy? I never played Super Mario RPG more than, like, ten minutes. I have started that game, like, four times and got, like, through the tutorial, maybe, and then dropped it and never come back. I think it's just RPGs are, like, JRPGs like that, especially old JRPGs like that, kind of a huge time commitment, and they take time to get into. Yeah, maybe something like that. But it's just, I don't know, it's like never hooked me. It's like, oh, I'm Mario, and something about a quest, here's a vague plot hook, and oh, look, 
I have Link to the Past on this thing, too. Do you have that issue with Paper Mario or Paper Mario a Thousand Year Door? No, but I haven't... I've only played the first Paper Mario, and I played it, like, when it was relevant. Okay. Uh, we used to rent that from the video store. Remember video stores? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, the other one was a Cacodemon from Doom. Uh, and it's interesting that these are me costume leaks. Uh, leaks, quote-unquote. Because, like... So far, nobody's seen anybody using mods to change me costumes. So, and there's like a video of it. So, this is a first for the modding community. If it is a fake, hmm. But also, it's it's probably fake because they announced several me costumes in the Terry Bogard reveal thingy. Also, Terry Bogard's in Smash Brothers now. Which is something I'm actually excited about, because yeah, I actually awesome. played Fatal Fury as a kid. Right, yeah. And uh, died a lot. So, uh, all of the featured game characters for the Mii Fighter costumes were from fighting games like Samurai Showdown, King of Fighters, and Virtua Fighter. Um, and so, I feel like because they announced these, it doesn't completely disprove the other two leaks... But I feel like if it leaked right before a direct that reveals a bunch of me costumes, that maybe it does. It. I, don't, I feel it's less it's, likely, but I feel like it doesn't totally disprove it. Yeah, and I think the argument you can make that it might be true is that clearly there's a theme going on with all the fighting game character me costumes from the lesser fighting games. Right, yeah. So they might have, you know, kind of bypassed Sorry, Virtual the other Fighter guys. fans. Right. <laughs> it's a lesser fighting game. Right. Yeah. Cause as though it wasn't bad enough seeing uh Akira, I think his name is, is the main Virtua Fighter guy, is an assist trophy. Now he's also a me fighter costume. <laughs> he just it, yeah, they're they're just kind of acknowledging that yeah, he's he's got two two places in here now. He's never gonna be playable, sorry. To the two Virtua Fighter fans. I don't know. I only ever played Virtua Fighter 4, and it was fine. Uh, I liked it okay. but uh, I mean, it's not... I'm not saying it was a bad game. It's yeah, just, I feel I'm like it wasn't as memorable as a lot of other... Like, comparing it directly to another Calibur. 3D fighter at the time. Yeah, I was going to go there. Soul Calibur 2 uh, was right about the same time as Virtua Fighter 4, maybe a little after. Um, I think, so, I know one of the, I think it was the first Virtual Fighter came out on Sega Saturn, was it? Okay. Uh, and then Soul Calibur came out on Dreamcast, and Soul Calibur was just better in every way. Yeah. Like, I guess you could make the arguments that it's a weapon-based fighter as opposed to a martial arts-based fighter, and actually a lot of the animations and stuff were really good in Virtual Fighter. Uh, from what I remember, because it it's all taken different styles of fighting and kind of actually bringing them into a game form. So I, I, for what it is, it's a cool game, but I feel like just playing it didn't leave nearly as much of an impression on me as any of Soul Calibur, any of the Soul Calibers, because I've played uh, Soul Blade on Dreamcast, uh, which was one of the predecessors to Soul Calibur. Uh, and then, obviously, Soul Calibur 2 and every one since then. Except for 6. I haven't got 6 yet. Uh, I think the last Soul Calibur I picked up was Soul Calibur 3, and it had a bad game-breaking glitch in it, which kind of turned me off the series. 
Because mm. I picked up one of the super early releases. Uh-huh. But... I don't know. I remember vaguely playing that with you at some point because it was oddly a PS3 exclusive, so I couldn't get it on my Xbox 360 or my GameCube or, or Wii, whichever. Yeah. Console generations suddenly got, like, a little staggered between systems right in there. It was uh, pretty yeah. weird. Yeah. But I didn't have a PS3, so I didn't really get that one, but I remember we played it a little while. Yeah. Uh, and then I got Soul Calibur 4, and Soul Calibur 4 was just better. Except for how annoying as fuck Yoda was. That's, uh... <laughs> I guess that if there was an argument to be made for getting the PS3, it was that Darth Vader was a character who had a height where you could actually hit him with a horizontal swing. Yeah. Or, uh, he was of normal proportion, so he wasn't just immune to throws because the programmers were too lazy to develop an extra animation to throw him. <laughs> Admittedly, that would have been probably a pain in the ass and time-consuming to reprogram every throw for every character to have a second animation just for Yoda. They could have just done it the lazy-ass Soul Calibur 3 way and just had, like, the character model distend into normal human shape to get thrown. Right, yeah, something like that. Instead, they were just like, no, nope, Yoda is already one of the most broken characters, and now we're just going to make him immune to throws, so he's even more broken. Fuck you. <laughs> Terry Bogard is released in Super Smash Brothers. Getting back onto topic, have you played him yet? I have not. Okay. I want to though. He's uh, he's pretty fucking fun. Um, I really like him. Um, he's kind of like Ryu and Ken in that you can actually put in the button commands from the fighting games. But um, I don't know. He just I feel like he's a lot more satisfying to play than Ryu or Ken. I think they're kind of fun, and I'll like every now and then I'll pick up one of them. But, like, Terry is actually going to be one of my mains now. Have you played his adventure mode yet? Yes. Okay, uh, does he fight the goose from uh, Untitled Goose Game? No. As the final boss. Fuck. <laughs> I was hoping that, <laughs> that I could make, hilarious. like, a Geese Howard joke thing. Yeah, um, so all of his actually are Terry versus a team of three characters that are connected somehow. Like, Link, Zelda, and uh, Sheik. So they're going the king of So it's like the rap. king of fighters, yeah. Uh, tag team three-way kind of thing. So I thought that was still a pretty tag cool theme. Yeah, tag team three-way. Got a drink. Yeah, sex joke, got a drink. Apparently. This tastes nothing like a margarita. No. Stupid gay cowboy telling me stuff. You don't even know that But no, gay. He's, he's a nice guy. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, he might not, he might not be gay. And he's probably I, I, not I'm a cowboy sure he's either gay. at this point. Right. I mean, he still has horses. It's close enough. You know what? That's fine. Right. <laughs> uh, gay cowboy just makes so much of a better story. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> An Irishman never lets the truth get in the way of a, of good, a good story. story. Yeah. Anyways, um, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Last piece of news for them have passed 15.7 million units sold and have beaten out Street Fighter 2 as the highest-selling fighting game of all time. Fuck yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, Street Fighter 2 has been there for a long-ass time. <laughs> and now, that's, that's now pretty Smash incredible. Bros is there. Yeah. Um, and Smash Bros... Does... It's, it's still like on a trending, like, selling like a million a month. And Smash Bros. kind of... And we're going into a holiday season here with a new Switch Lite model. 
I feel like it's going to be one of the biggest sellers through the... You know, I feel like Pokemon is probably going to surpass it for the overall holiday season. Um, also, interesting kind of thing, uh, Luigi's Mansion actually sold really well. A little bit of data came out for last month, and Luigi's Mansion 3 released on literally the last day of the month, October 31st, and was the third highest selling game on any console in the United States. Holy shit. After one day on the market. <laughs> uh, I didn't read the exact number, but it's it's pretty good. So what I will say about that is that Tetris 99 tends to change its uh, its backgrounds, its uh -huh. themes, and you can't change them back. And after a while, you get sick of the Luigi's Mansion theme, so I'd call it an anti-ad. Mm -hmm. Damn that Tetris 99. Damn them. <laughs> I don't know. I played like two rounds of Tetris 99. A little more than that. I played a few. Yeah. Literally the first one, I came in first place. Holy shit, really? Yeah, the very first time I played, and it was just absolute pure luck. Because I suck at Tetris. I'm not like I've still not terrible, made first terrible, place. but I'm not, I'm really not very good at Tetris. <laughs> I don't know. Just after a certain point, I just like stop thinking quickly enough and then I'm like, hold on, go here, go here, go here. And it's like, after a certain point, I'm just completely fucked. And especially with people like firing extra trash at you, that really just screws me up. And I don't really get the strategy behind you know, what kind of strategy you're supposed to set at what time and everything. And it's like, ah, eh, it's too much learning curve. All I want is Tetris. Uh, so it, I thought it was a unique concept, but I was not very good at it. But I still was just impressed that the very first time I ever played, I'm like, first place. Fuck yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. I did not know that. <coughs> Excuse me while I die for a second. <coughs> I have a weird cough. That's not good. Yeah, it's been going on for like three weeks, and it's literally just a cough and no other symptoms. And sometimes, like most of the time, it's like a eh, eh. And every now and then it's like that, where it's like terribly, horribly violent. And I'm like, ah, I'm, my lungs, they're on the table now. Give me a spoon. Ah, my lung, it's flopping <laughs> all over the dirt. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, last piece of news and booze is uh, the Kraken has released a Black Roast Kraken, which is a coffee rum. I would... I gotta try that now. Yeah, right? I'm gonna have to bring that on the show. Like... Uh, uh, as yeah. soon as I find a place that sells it, I'm just gonna completely not acknowledge that I just, like, let out a massive belch. Chris is drinking to that. I am. I am mm. drinking to that. Yeah, as soon as I find a place that has it, which I bet they'll probably have it at one of the big liquor stores around here or something, I'm going to go check them at some point when I have money, which is not right now. Yeah. Because otherwise I would have Pokemon. But I digest. I digest. You continue to digest. This beer. Mm. So that's exciting, because Kraken is my favorite rum anyway. And now having a coffee rum, I'm like, that sounds pretty cool. Lots of mixed drink potential, and one of the things that they suggest on their little ad thing is that you can do chilled shots, and I'm like, actually, that just sounds good for regular Kraken. <laughs> I'm going to do that with regular Kraken and coffee Kraken. So that sounds neat. 
have to give that a try. <coughs> yeah. All right. Video game topic. It feels like we took quite a while to get there. That's because we had like three weeks of news because you kept not showing up. Yeah, because I kept on having work and stuff. You bag of dicks. How dare you have a job and contribute to society. Damn. Anyway. It's found me out. What makes a game replayable? And what are the... After that, maybe we'll do some best games to revisit that we like to keep replaying. So, yeah. Uh, what kind of things do you think go into making a game that really just make you just want to come back and play it more? Uh, other than Ocarina of Time, which in majority... Like, a lot of the Zelda games, I'll come back and replay even though I kind of know where all the things are. Right. Just because it's, like, comfort food. Yeah. But... Uh, so I guess that's one thing that can make a game replayable is just being so damn good that people want to come back and re-experience it. Right, yeah. Even if you've done it a million times, you're like, do it one more time, and it's like, still something about it that keeps drawing you in. That's a kind of a hard thing to pin down, because one of my best replayable games I'm going to put down there is Ocarina of Time, because literally I play that every year and have for the past 20 years. I've been laxer on doing my Ocarina of Time replays as a, as I've gotten older, but oh, maybe it's you. time for another one. Maybe. Yeah, and uh, like also I feel like uh, one of the things that goes into that though is that there's a lot of things you can do, uh, and I do I do a different kind of run basically every time I do it. Sometimes I'll just do like a casual run and just kind of run through it and see the story and stuff. And sometimes I'll do like a hardcore challenge. I remember. I did a like a three heart Iron Man challenge once, and I had to delete my game in the fucking Fire Temple like so many times. <laughs> I was so pissed off because <laughs> there's this like one room where just like for no reason on Master Quest, a Stalfos falls out of the fucking ceiling, and it like stabs he, you in the he butt. lands on me, and I'm like, there goes two of my three hearts, and then he moves it all, and it hit, it hit I'm in his hitbox again. Oh, I'm dead. <laughs> Better bring a fairy. Yeah. I was also doing, like, a minimal run, though, so I could only have one bottle. So, in a couple of those places... And, and also, there was, I feel like, one room in the Fire Temple where I think it threw two or three Stalfos at you, and it was, like, a really small room, so it was really kind of difficult to get in those hits on the Stalfos and still be able to avoid... Because you'd, like, be backed into a wall... To a point where, like, whichever one you're Z-targeting, you can probably block, but if another one comes at you from the other side and stabs you, you're fucked because you're looking at the other one. So, and it's like there's not enough room to maneuver around them. Flanking is bad, <coughs> and also not having room to dodge is bad. Yeah. Hazard just to your health. Uh, yeah, Ocarina of Time's always been really replayable, but I I'll be damned if I have a any luck placing... A finger on like the root cause of why other than it being you know kind of like it was good enough the first time and now it's kind of like comfort food it's like the game you can go back to and replay right yeah because you know it yeah you know it i know it yeah i know it enough that i can like i'm gonna hundred percent i'm gonna go around at every point in the game and talk to every npc just to see what they say which is actually kind of interesting, because it, it changes, like, more than I would have thought it would. Because uh, mostly you think, oh, there's different dialogue in the child and adult versions, 
but there's also a couple of points where like some of the characters will just change dialogue like uh after you get the spiritual stones everybody's dialogue will change but then uh, i think a lot of it changes back if you go back forward into the temple of time and go forward for the first time and then back then it reverts so it's like for that portion of the game some npcs have different dialogue especially in castle town where it's like some of them will mention oh a guy on a horse rode by chasing princess zelda what was that shit about and you're like uh bad shit you're all gonna be zombies in a minute okay bye (laughs) so i i guess that's one thing about that game i never got was uh where did the did he just zombify the town I guess it was it was never really explicitly explained. Yeah, just like you come back and Hyrule Castle is a giant ass crater with a flying badasser castle in its place. Although that is one of the coolest things about that game. Yeah, I would love a badasser flying castle. Badasser is a word now. Yeah, but uh, on the opposite end from comfort food, having a lot of uh, differences in a game when you replay it. Like, uh, with a lot of the games with RPG-ish mechanics, having, like, the ability to play through mm-hmm. with a different class or pick up different right. people. Or uh, with randomly generating worlds kind of thing, yeah. where it's different every time you play it. Uh, that's one of the reasons I've kind of thought about coming back to Cadence of Hyrule um, again. I, I've played that through, like, one and a half times. Uh, and I'd like to come back and play it again. And also the original Crypt of the Necrid Answer, which I haven't actually yet beat. I got, like, to the th- second world, I think. It's replayable. That one's a lot harder, though. Yeah. Because uh, <coughs> your your diamonds, like, reset every time you die. Um, instead of just being able to stockpile them and buy a bunch of hard containers. It's a game you have to replay <coughs> because uh, you die a lot. And it restarts when you die. Yeah. But so roguelikes are really good. Really good, though. Um... Yeah, um, and maybe kind of going on another Zelda game, but Breath of the Wild is replayable for totally different reasons than Ocarina of Time, because that's a game where you can do everything completely differently. Yeah. Because you can do the dungeons in a different order. You can do the dungeons and get the Master Sword before you ever go talk to Impa, you know? You can (coughs) not do the dungeons at all and just sprint naked, totally naked to, a. I've done that. To Calamity Ganon <laughs> and die. Yeah. I died a lot, but eventually I beat him. Three heart. I, I, I ground up some armor and uh, some food. Because really, I, I tried first to just go in three hearts naked. And the problem was not that like I took too much damage. The problem was that literally if you just go in there and get the arrows that you get in the starting zone and in Hyrule Castle itself and all the weapons in there, you will not have enough weapons and arrows to kill all four Blight Ganons and then Calamity Ganon. I was like running out of arrows and weapons on the third Blight Ganon. Because also you don't have much inventory space. Yeah, so you just... And the royal weapons break really easily. Yeah. So the big ones that you get in Hyrule Castle are most... Like, there's a few edge of dualities in there that'll last for a while, but that's about it. And then, of course, you need shields to reflect the beams. Yeah. 
And on some of those Blight Ganons, it's hard to hit them with two-handed weapons much, because then you've got to pretty much immediately go back to, uh... Uh... Like, dodging or using your shield or something to avoid their attack. So, it... That was a challenge. That was fun, though. Um... <clears throat> yeah. Uh, but something like that, uh, just... The overall world design is just so good that you can just go anywhere, and I feel like that's even something that's not necessarily true in all open-world games. Because, like, if you replay Skyrim and go through the story, you're going to go through the story in exactly the same way. Because but, it has a linear story. Yeah, which but not doesn't. necessarily in Morrowind. Morrowind has a kind of a linear story, but you have to go to a lot of random places, and you have an excuse to wander off the beaten path... It, all the time. And it doesn't really have fast travel in the same way that Skyrim does. Yeah. Which is actually one of the things I love about Morrowind is that its fast travel system feels more natural. And it doesn't just feel like a way that you can cheat the game and be like, I don't want to play the game. I'm just going to fast travel. It's like, it kind of cheapens the experience to me in Skyrim in that regard. Where it's like... Okay, now I've walked through this area. Now I never have to walk through it again. But the point of an open world game is to walk all over the fucking place. It would be nicer if the if the game was set up so that you were just so that um, you were expected to just walk everywhere multiple times, and it had like a random encounter system. That might be interesting. Um, I'm playing Death Stranding, and it's got uh, no fast travel system, as far as I can tell so far. Um, and I feel like it really has a... It, it's kind of... I, I think this might be an interesting game to replay after the fact, too. I'm not sure yet. But um, really, the whole mechanic of the entire game is walking anyway. So, like, a fast travel system would literally just make this whole game pointless. But I found myself at a point where I actually got, like, this key item that I'm supposed to take to another town, basically, <clears throat> and deliver it is my quest. Except I didn't read the part in the quest where I'm supposed to take the item there. I just knew I was supposed to go there. And then I was, like, looking at my inventory. I'm like, oh, what do I have all this rare metal for? Oh, it's probably a crafting material. I'll put it in my bank for later. And I put it in my bank, and then I walked all the way there. And they're like, hey, do you have that rare metal? And I was like, oh. So, but it's because it's in my bank in the other town, I had to walk all the way back to the other town and then back again. And I took a slightly different route every time I went there. And I didn't mind that at all because of how fucking well the world is designed. See, that's, <clears throat> that is fucking awesome game design. Yeah, but I feel like anybody that did that in Skyrim would just be like, eh, I have to walk. Fast travel. Fast travel. Yeah. Yeah, but if Skyrim didn't have its fast travel system, they'd do the same thing and then they'd walk through the same path they traveled and there'd be nothing there. Because yeah, the only the random encounters is... are, like, bandits and shit. And combat. And dragons, yeah. And dra Yeah, and the occasional dragon. It's not... There's no... You never, like, right. randomly stumble upon a but quest. But that's kind of one something. of the issues I have with that game's world design in general, which it's, it's not a bad world, but I feel like it's designed around the fact that you can fast travel, so there's no reason to ever go back to any area. 
which I feel like kind of kills the point of a open world game. But I can I can also kind of see where they were coming from in that regard. Yeah, it's like I feel like it was more trying to be a story based game than an open world game, but still wanted to be an open world game because that's what Elder Scrolls does. It was a better open world game than uh, Oblivion, probably. That's true, but that's eighty percent because Oblivion was just so fucking tiny. Yeah. Um, like with I feel like Oblivion also did that because Oblivion was also a lot more story heavy than <coughs> Morrowind. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that Morrowind was like necessarily unstory heavy, but like I feel like in the um, in the next two, uh, Oblivion and Skyrim, they really went out of their way to have like all these cutscenes and all this specific put right in front of you. Here is the story. They and they put a lot more emphasis on it. Whereas in the first town in Morrowind, you get a package to deliver to a guy in the second town, and you could just sell it to the trader and buy an axe instead. And <laughs> um, I think Morrowind makes you more invested because you actually have to work to get anywhere in the story instead of just being like, You're, here's the clear path. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've kind of seen too because also it doesn't ever tell you like, you don't get a waypoint onto where stuff is. You have to kind of ask around people and be like, hey, where's the town of uh, Suran? And they'll be like, oh, you can get there by taking this silt strider or something. And uh, or walk north from, you know, whatever yeah. other town. They'll, they'll actually give you a real direction, and you will have to take that information. And it'll be put in your notebook so you won't forget it. But you'll have to actually take real life-like directions and follow them like in real life which is one of the best things about questing in Morrowind <laughs> especially when it's like finding dungeons where they'll be like oh yeah there's uh, this egg mine that you go west of here until you see the crossroads and then go east where there is no trail for a while between these two mountains you know some bullshit like that that you have to actually follow and then you get there and it's so much more satisfying than just there's a thing east of here, and then it's oh, not here's like a they, waypoint. It's not like they obfuscated either. It's just they, the directions are clear enough that you can find your way Yeah, using them. It's just that they don't make it so fucking obvious that you feel like you're being handheld through it. Yeah, which is one of the reasons I actually had trouble playing Skyrim again, uh, was that everything felt like, okay, I've kind of done this before, I'm going exactly the same places I already have because it's, you know, that. And also, Skyrim really feels really tiny after playing Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild had some... had some fantastic overworld design. Also, I had, like, great Mm -hmm. encounters with the ninja. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When you'd meet some random person, they're like... I had a dream, and I saw a man who was waking up in... Uh, who woke up inside a dark place. Would you happen to be this man? Uh, no. He said, really? I think different. Turns into a ninja and tries to fucking murder you. Right. Yeah. All those... Those things... Those encounters were actually pretty hilarious. Yeah. I never minded them, even after a point where I got to, like... The moment they started talking... Based on their dialogue, I'm like, yep, yeah, you're a Yiga ni- ninja. Uh, you're you're going to try and kill me. 
It's but they, I'm gonna go through this because it's hilarious, and then I'm gonna all, kick like, your ass. Fun and unique. <clears throat> yeah. And there's like still actually quite a lot of them because I feel like the last I've replayed Breath of the Wild now, uh, also two and a half times I think, um, and it's uh, like I I feel like I'm still even though I know based on the way that their animations are and stuff I'm like I know you're a Yiga ninja but they're still giving me new dialogues and I'm like that's pretty cool I haven't seen all of them I feel like. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot to do. Yeah. And then just being able to climb everything and find random-ass Korok seeds and bullshit. What's a Korok doing on top of Hyrule Castle? Why aren't you on top of Hyrule Castle? That's a good question. Actually, I think there's like 12 or 15 Korok seeds in Hyrule Castle total. <laughs> Something like that. It's like, guys, why the fuck are you here? If he sees you, if these guardians see you, they will fucking kill you. If that Lionel sees you, he will fucking kill you. Lionels aren't <coughs> scary. You just gotta backflip and hit him a few times. Right. They're scary on master mode. Because they're gold. They're... And I'm also kind of... I'm also kind of playing it up, up a roll. They're, they're kind of they're kinda scary. Right. In, like, most of the game. Yeah, after a certain point you get to it, you're like, okay, now I can take Lionels. They're not dead. Yeah. They're a little tedious, so actually most of the time you just avoid them because you're like, eh, I don't want to break three of my weapons in order to gain three of yours. <laughs> Past a certain point, you're like, do I really want to lose my lightning sword, fire sword, and ice sword that I've been hauling around forever to you? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, um, so... Is there any other key parts of games that make them replayable that you'd like to go over? Uh, or any games that you'd like to shout out as replayable as fuck? Noida! Uh, Which, you know, I'm kind of cheating by using a roguelike, but holy shit, what an overworld for a game that's supposedly about going into a dungeon and beating the boss. Huh. Uh, you start outside the mines, and you can immediately walk left to a tree. Uh, and there's, like, shit inside the tree and stuff on top of the tree, and if you somehow manage to get over the tree, there's an entire, like, area beyond that. Uh, if you go up the mountain, if you f figure out a way to get around the mountain, uh, that the mines are sitting in, you go right and find, there's, like, a whole world over that way and, like, a whole other dungeon. Huh. Neat. Uh. Sounds explorable. Yes. I think explorability is one of the things that really lends a game to being replayable. Because uh, if you feel like you're discovering secrets, like, constantly, uh, or, or just, like, seeing new things, or even a game that you've explored before, if it's fun to explore and find those things again, uh, then... Uh, and I think maybe that's one of the things that really goes into Zelda being so replayable that we've brought it up so many times is that literally that's one of the fundamentals that the series is based on is exploration is key. Yeah, even in the most linear Zelda games, there's still <coughs> secrets sprinkled around. Yeah, I was finding that especially in the Link's Awakening remake because um, it's like there's actually... Actually, there's even more in the Link's Awakening remake. There's more secrets sprinkled around because they put in new secret seashells 
and some new collectibles and all sorts of there's there's a handful of little additions there that are just kind of fun to go around and explore and find all of them. Is, is Marin still a psychopath when he hit cuckoos? Yes. Okay. It's wonderful. Good. <laughs> I uh, I did like every single thing you can do with Marin. I think uh, when I when I got to that part of the game, it was it was pretty cool. Like like I went into the dungeon and then came out all bloodied, and she's like, "Oh no, let me heal you up. You're you're never take care of yourself." <laughs> you know. And then uh, I think you get a funny scene if you fall into the well and all that. Um, <clears throat> I think a good story to re-experience again is another thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's another thing that keeps me coming back to Link's Awakening. Because the story is simple, but it's Packs a great. punch. Yeah, and it's, it's a hard-hitting one. It's like... People tell me that Majora's Mask or Twilight Princess is the darkest Zelda game. I'm like, you guys haven't played Link's Awakening, have you? He kills a whole fucking island. Link's Awakening. Genocide <laughs> is the only way. <laughs> yeah. Genocide of nightmares and the good people on the island. Everybody yeah. dies but Link and the windfish. Yep. Hashtag spoilers. I mean, it's... It's, it's like 26 old years game. old. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The and, game is almost as old as I am. Right. So, uh, get yeah. learned, bitch. Uh, so go check it out. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, and that goes into probably actually several of the other games we've said as well. Um, even Skyrim, actually. I would probably replay Skyrim for the story, except for the final boss fight is a colossal letdown. Yeah, and the delivery of the story <clears throat> is also... I don't care about any of those people. Right. Except for, like, Parthunax, mm -hmm. who's voiced by the guy who voices Mario. He's, like, the only character you care about. Is and he then really you... voiced by Charles Martinet? Yeah. That's funny. Look it up. I will eventually. I'll just, like, look it up. on. Just listen to it and see if I can, like, hear it. <laughs> yeah, like, woohoo. Oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's-a me, Parthenax. I'm pretty sure he never actually says that. <laughs> That's kind of hilarious. We're going to put on audio here that we don't have copyright for, so if you're a copyright striker, then close your ears now. Uh, Does apparently. Podbean have, like, a copyright strike, strike program? I have no fucking Do you think you're, we're big enough that if, they... Uh... If we get kicked out, I will officially call us Big Enough as a podcast. I'll be like, yeah, we're famous. We're so famous that Podbean kicked us off for doing something that our 26 followers paid attention to. Maybe. Charles Martinet, voice of Parthunax in Skyrim. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Okay, so there was no audience. I mean, audio. Sorry to disappoint you. Not can't copyright strike us, bitches. I mean, you can. You'll just have no legal legs to stand on. Which right, is yeah. fine, because we don't like have any money to fight you. Right, yeah. So if you did that, you're just a dick. We'd try to settle out of court, and I'd be like... Will you take a I would pack? urinate on your office building. So uh, why don't you put that in your cornhole and smoke it, you bitch? 
So, yeah, if you want to settle outside, of course, for a pee on your office building and a six-pack, then then sue us. Yeah. But that that's all you're getting. Like, I'll, it, it won't even be a six-pack of full the same thing. It'll just be whatever six beers I happen to have in the fridge still. It'll be a six-pack of something. Six-pack of whoop-ass. Yeah. There'll be a liquid in it, and I'll guarantee that. Yes. Oh, that's actually a better idea. <laughs> but I digest. <clears throat> You've said that several times now. I have. I, I don't know. that, that uh, I keep having to digress and digesting is so much more interesting so it's a whole biological process anyways uh unless you have any last minute thoughts i think we can move on to the table topic yeah let's move on is it ever worth it to replay a campaign with the same players that is an interesting question and my answer is dependent entirely on how you define campaign but if you, like, set... I feel like if the DM was like, I'll run this game for you guys again, I'll set up all the pieces again, and then the players do something entirely different, it's not... It's the same, like, setting. It's the same initial premise, but mm-hmm. it's not the same campaign. Yeah, I guess that's kind of fair. Because um, I was thinking about this, because we've actually done this with our group a handful of times. Yeah. Uh, particularly with my Pirates campaign, which I think we've rebooted like four times. Um, with Sometimes it's been like slightly different versions of our group, but several of the core players have always remained there. Um, it's, I've usually been there, and... Uh, and usually Owen. Yeah. And then alternating in like Dan and Josh, and Rob was in there once. Yeah, once. Yeah. Come on, Rob. Play on our D&D games. I don't think Rob likes D&D. I don't think he listens to my podcast either. Yeah. So, really, we're kind of SOL. Yep. We are soul indeed. But, yep. Uh, that's what you meant. Sure, that's what I meant. Soul. Soul. Yep. <clears throat> but, yeah, I thought it was a kind of an interesting sort of experience, because I... Like, we got to a point where, like, everybody wanted to play my Pirates game, but it had been, like, literally, I think, two years or something since we had played it last because we got stuck on somebody else's campaign or something. And so nobody remembered exactly where we were or what we were doing. And I was like, oh, what if I... uh, I think somebody actually said, hey, let's play it in 4th edition. And I was like, okay, sure. And... I was like, okay, I don't really know how to run 4th edition, so everybody make first level characters so I can, you know, ease into it. And then we were like, so are we just starting over the campaign? And I was like, okay, I guess. And I ran the first adventure again. And it was more or less the same. Um, The first adventure involves a random pirate named Doc coming into the pub where the player characters are, inevitably because player characters always hang out at a pub. And saying, hey guys, want to go steal a boat and become pirates? It's and a they were like, for a reason. Okay. Right, yeah. I mean, it fucking works. Yeah. Because um, even if you don't tell players, okay guys, you start in a pub. Like, you could say, okay guys, you start in a town. What do you do? At least one of the players every single fucking time is going to go to the pub. Every time. Yes. Probably multiple of them. You know, I'm... <laughs> past a certain point i was like let's cut out the middleman and i'll just be like here is 
the first dungeon. You guys all banded together for some reason. You guys figured out why you banded together. I don't care. Right, yeah. I don't care why, but you did. Yeah. And you're, that's not optional. If you didn't, then you're playing a different character. Right, yeah. Kind of the... It's one of those unwritten rules of D&D anyways. It's like, you all need to work together. Yeah. Like, if you're not actively helping the party, then get out of the party. Or at least, you know, <clears throat> if you're doing, like, a inter-party conflict thing, at least do it in a way that's, like, fun for people as opposed to just right. needlessly obstructive. Yeah. Which I think that could be interesting. Uh, and I think play to your character. And if that conflict naturally comes up, I think then it could be very interesting for multiple players to uh, do. Yeah. Uh, and that's actually that's a good topic for later. Let's uh, remember that. I think uh, we covered some of that in uh, inter in PvP and D and D. Maybe a little earlier bit. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, interplayer uh, struggles. Might be a interesting topic to visit again. Yeah, at some point, get a little more deep into the In, inter-party struggles. If your players are yeah. like, fight, like having right, like arguing with each other in real life, then you've got bigger problems, probably. Yeah, which we've also had that, but yeah, th that's also a story for another time. Yes. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting to see how some other players reacted to the situations and. Uh, in the first adventure, largely it was the same. Okay, sure, I'll be a pirate, I guess. We'll go steal this boat full of drugs. And then they hide in the drug barrels, which are very badly labeled, like, drugs. Cocaine. <laughs> like, why did you label this stuff, guys? Why didn't you just not? <laughs> Turns out they were undercover cops. No, they were just really bad pirates. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why Doc had a, the idea to beat him up. And every time I have him hide in the crates full of drugs, and nobody thinks to hide in a drug barrel or, a, a like, literally a fucking crate full of cocaine that you should try to avoid sniffing any cocaine. And so every time I have got one player character at least to be high as fuck for the conflict where... <laughs> Like, the pirates come in to check the cargo, to, and then you beat the shit out of them? To be fair, cocaine's a stimulant, so it might qualify as performance-enhancing in that case. Right. Yeah, I think I... Uh, I forget what I even did. I, I think I made up some mechanic or something. Like, uh, they're hasted, but they have to make hasty decisions as well. I uh, beat up that guy. Right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so, like, actually, I think it was Josh one time, uh, and, like, a guy comes to, one of the guys comes to check the shipment of drugs, and he's literally not seeing any of the guys, because they're, like, hiding in the barrels, and the box is full of drugs, and, but Josh is, like, high as fuck, and so this guy comes up kind of close to his box, and Josh just bursts out and kills him. <laughs> Which alerts the entire rest of the crew that just start swarming in the door and attacking you guys. That yeah, was hilarious. <laughs> Pretty sure that was Hap. Pretty sure that was Josh. That one. That sounds like Josh behavior. That wouldn't be surprising if that was Josh. Yeah, might have been. Yeah. I'm trying to think of who else has played that campaign. But yeah, it's been. It's also kind of interesting because then I hit some of the plot points and I hit them in different orders every time. Also, because the way I build my campaigns is I'm like, here's a world, 
go somewhere and I'll figure out what happens. And, you know, based on the politics of what's going on and what you do might affect the politics, might affect who's in power and uh, what the powers do, if anything. And it's been kind of interesting because sometimes you guys, like, really pick fights with the Marines all the time and stuff like that. And sometimes you guys have been, like, more lay low, like, oh, there's some Marines. Let's just kind of pass them by and maybe they won't notice the... Uh, Sneak. Jolly Roger. <laughs> Let's just paint a Marine's hat on top of that Jolly Roger. Right? So, uh... We're, we're privateers, sure. Yeah. We're not pirates. We're not pirates. We're privateers. We have a charter from, uh, your nation. <laughs> That's Someone an incredible to... forgery. How did you know our nation was called your nation? Um... <laughs> Uh, I want to make a town called Your Nation next, your nation. <laughs> next campaign I run. Uh, so have you ever done anything like this where you run the same campaign for different for the same players? I have not. I have considered uh, running the same, setting up all the pieces again and running the same setting for a different group of players mm -hmm. for one of my campaigns before. But because of how individualized that campaign eventually got to uh, what had happened to the players previously and how strong they were and what mm -hmm. they were interested in doing. Um, there's no way I could call it the same campaign. I would just say it takes place in like an alternate version of that world. Right. Uh, because so Interesting much... Interesting way to handle it. Because so much of what happened was like a domino's effect of the players fucking up and making everything worse and it becoming like a giant let's death spiral of fuck ups and right things getting worse for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess that's a kind of an interesting idea because uh, also we've had some interesting things with uh, different playgroups playing the same campaigns. Because I've, I've also had a couple of campaigns that I tried to run the same playgroup through, and then they'd make slightly different decisions, and, and that kind of thing came up where it's like, oh, I've got this character written into every session after this, but the second playgroup killed him. And so I just had him keep coming back because it was... Uh, his name was Zacharias the Zombie. You rem might remember him. Oh, yeah. And you guys killed him, but my first playgroup, like, thought he was hilarious and, like, convinced him that they were working together, and then he just, like, started working with them. <laughs> I think it was uh, with us we recruited Ulysses the Unicorn. Yeah, that was hilarious, too, because he was a mad gangster rapper bard. <coughs> Unicorn. And then, uh, but it's funny too because actually they also recruited Ulysses and a couple of them and it eventually got to a point where both groups actually would actively try to recruit the bad guys instead of kill them but uh, they got there at different times so I kept having to reintroduce Zacharias the zombie and I think one of the players really hated him or something and killed him every time and then he'd just come back like hello there I'm Zacharias the zombie <laughs> say no turn on dad <laughs> why do you keep coming back I'm not sure I I don't remember things very well because I had a zombotomy <clears throat> that was his go to joke he said that like every fucking five minutes 
To be fair, that's what pissed him. Whoever off. Who it? Somebody. Maybe Tyler. I don't remember. <laughs> of course Tyler would. Fucking Tyler. Tyler. Yeah. Um, and then also I've had interesting uh, problems with uh, not a campaign that I ran, but my brother Dan ran a campaign where he was running multiple playgroups through the same world and then he let them all affect each other. And that seemed like a cool idea. But then, like, one of our playgroups did a kind yeah, <laughs> our playgroup did a kind of a shady thing ish and uh, murdered a guy. But <coughs> we frame, like, we set it up, um, Peyton's character set it up so that it would look exactly like uh, one of these drow guys in the Undercity murdered him with his drow crossbow bolt. Because I think literally Peyton stabbed this guy to death with these drow crossbow bolts or something. <laughs> and then it's like there's liter- literally no way that this would have, like, not... Like, without f- real forensic evidence of modern day, you could never have been able to prove that it was us. But for some reason, when the other playgroup came upon this man's dead body, they didn't believe that it was the... Uh, drow for some reason and I really have no idea why and I they took an <coughs> elven arrow and <coughs> replaced the crossbow bolt with the uh, elven arrow yeah so somehow they ended up framing Peyton for a murder that Peyton actually committed and we were kinda we were pretty mindfucked about that yeah and that was at the point when we were just kind of like, okay, maybe this isn't a, maybe maybe we shouldn't have that much crossover in the world, because literally without those player characters and their decisions, it would have just been this random guy that Peyton killed, and it wouldn't have made any difference on the campaign. But then, because he was wanted now, like, we spent the rest of the campaign on the run and eventually got so derailed from the story that we literally couldn't even continue the campaign. <laughs> So, I guess, I think there's a way of approaching that kind of thing where you run the same group in multiple worlds is that you have an open game table and you just let who wants to show up show up for that session. And if they do things that screw over the other characters, your characters can come in and have an opportunity to screw with them back. That might be interesting, yeah. But they would have to have, like, like the the opportunity to play together. But there has to be some kind of mitigation for, yeah. And, and definitely play together at some point. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to say on this topic? Uh, <coughs> I do know Owen ran his uh, Ravenloft game. Yeah, uh, we ran that uh, twice, twice, at least. We didn't beat it, beat it the first time, I think, but we... Got a large way through and came to one of the epic climaxes. And then the second one was and the I one And I stood in we... the mouth of a dragon while he breathed fire on me and stabbed him in the fucking brain. <laughs> and then I healed myself because I was a cleric, so I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to throw down a mass heal and it's going to heal me up for 200 points and you're going to take 200 points of damage because you're an undead dragon. And then I'm going to stab you in the brain four times because like, at that level it's like... That was on Dean, right? Yeah. Okay. 
Actually, I think I could take a full attack action, because we were using 3.0 haste. So I could, like, take a full attack, which is four sword slashes and three shield bashes, and then mass heal. Yep, that's how that works. Because <laughs> I was, like, 20th level fighter, 20th level cleric, cleric uh, jest alt. <coughs> that was hilarious. That is, like, one of the correct ways to jest alt. Just alt with the thing. fighter for all of the feats and pretty good hit points and armor and weapon proficiencies. Cleric for I can heal whenever the fuck I want and deal actually pretty good damage as a offensive caster sometimes. Just a super cleric then. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm a cleric with a full base attack bonus. Suck a dick. The only downside is divine favor doesn't really do anything for you. Yeah. Oh well. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think there's like a lot of stuff that could get reused from a campaign, including like the map and most of the initial situations. Uh huh. Players will always take their own path, though. So uh, eventually, you'll have to come up with new stuff, and it won't be quite the same thing anymore. Yeah. So that's kind of true. Yeah. Interesting take. That's not where I thought we were going to go with this topic, but huh. uh, that's half the fun. So, uh, is that all you have to say about that? Uh, <coughs> last thing I'd say about that is I'm, I, I would be interested in... in a, uh, I, I'd be interested in a, seeing if I uh, ever ran my uh, the campaign I ran for the other group and took the same starting conditions and tried running that for you guys mm -hmm. and see what you did with that. Right. Probably end up doing something totally different. You'd probably die a lot. Probably. Like, a lot. Yeah. We're not good at your system. <laughs> my system is lethal. Yeah. My new system isn't, but my old system was. Right. Anywho. Okay. Uh, Chris brings a thing. I bring a thing. Is this... that our... We should have a theme song for Chris brings a thing. I'll play it on my mug. Okay, yeah, that, that works. I'm going to forget it by next week. This is the Tomb of Black Sand. This is a 5th edition module, which oh, cool. is, you know, actually useful at the table. Weird. Yeah. Got, like, it doesn't come things. up all that much. Yeah, it's something where you could, like, read... Where I could, like, read a dungeon room and uh, say, Hey, I can use this. And it also has the thing where... Uh, the dungeon has a mo monsters that players really aren't supposed to beat. Hmm. Neat. Like, I, I like they can that. beat. It's right. not. It's not prohibited. It's just that you're not. You're probably not gonna. You're probably not going to. Mm -hmm. Which will make it all the much all the sweeter if you are able to. Yeah. It is cold enough throughout the tomb to see your breath. Neat. Stonebark is perceptually... I can't read. I have to drink. Exceptionally precise. The stones are pale and smooth as each stone is covered by a thinner veneer of bone. Kinky. <clears throat> so yeah, interesting descriptions. Looks like and need a hook. It's got extra hooks, so you don't. You can kind of shovel them into 
the dungeon in multiple ways, I guess. Yeah, if you wanted to Good run idea. it as a one-shot, it's got instructions for setting it up as a one-shot. Uh-huh. Cool. Yeah, and then, obviously, different things. Oh, it's got a whole map here, so it's not just a dungeon. Um, yeah, it's like a dungeon and a region. Okay. That could come in handy. So it eventually leads you to the dungeon, I assume, though. Yeah. Yeah. Seems to be set up very simply, which I kind of like. It's like, here's this. Yeah. This is all you need. And it's worth worth noting it's by the same guys you did the Hot Springs Island, which I brought a couple podcasts back. Cool. Mm-hmm. Except this one has, you know, like, 5th edition stats in it. Look, you can get swallowed by a sand thresher. Yes. That would not be a good idea. This is the kind of thing I want to throw at, uh... A D4 minus 1 times 10. People that painful write fifth edition modules and say this is how you do it, motherfuckers. Mm -hmm. And actually, a pretty good number of uh, just monsters in the back, which I assume are just used throughout the uh, yep module. So that's kind of nice because a lot of modules I get kind of annoyed with when they're like, "Oh, look at the page this of the uh, monster manual or something," and I'm like, "I don't want to." I want everything to be right here in one book. So yeah, that sounds kind of interesting. Uh, what would you rate that on a scale of 3 to 17? I'd rate it a 15, but I feel like I'm applying an unnecessary penalty for it being 5th edition, and the fact that I don't like use f using 5th edition because mm -hmm. their rules are all proprietary and shit. Right. Um, so what would you rate it if it were Pathfinder? Uh... Well, if I... I would probably rate it, like... I'd probably give it a 16. 16 out of 17. Cool. Very good, very functional. Mm. Just, like, simple, easy to use. What if it were written in Hero System? Uh... I wouldn't buy or use it. <laughs> so I would not rate it at all. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Hero, yeah. Hero System is, uh... Yeah. I, Hero System is too complex for to be much fun to run. Mm -hmm. And I've ran it the once, so... Right. Yeah, I mean, it does what it does. Which, one of the things that it does is having an extra rule for fuck everything. Yeah. Which comes in handy when anybody wants to do fuck anything. And also, if you invest a lot of points in, like, speed, and then put all your points in sword fighting, this one's for you, Devin. You can kill a dragon in one shot. Also, <laughs> Devin, I know you're listening to that, so... Yeah, that dragon is dead. Yeah, Devin. So you listen? Probably not, huh? I don't know. I don't know if he's listening to this particular one. Text him and tell him to listen. And subscribe and share. We forgot to say share and subscribe at the start of the podcast again. Oh, well. I'll, I'll, I'll have to drink. You'll have to drink. Mm. You're out of beer. You bastard. I'm out of beer. Yeah. Am I a bastard, though? Um, no. how should I know? I don't watch your parents when they're doing the whoopee I mean is that what the kids call it these days like you would have been like a very tiny baby I would so have. even if you did watch them you wouldn't remember it yeah and that would have been like really awkward if they were just like boning while I was in the room it would probably do funny things to your little baby brain 
that affected you in like all sorts of weird ways as an adult. Yeah, now I become like an alcoholic podcast host or something. Was that funny or awkward enough to pause it at and, and cut it off? I, like I, I felt like maybe it was, but I felt like also, eh, we haven't been going very long. Yeah. We could get darker or more fucked up or funnier or something. Creepier? I don't know. Or I mean, awkward? This is a pretty awkward conversation as is. Right, yeah. Like, I need some hot tea to soothe these steaming pipes. Um, I have some tequila. Uh, it probably won't work. Hmm. It's called El Espolón, which I believe in Spanish translates to the Espolón. The... The es... The Espo... The Espolón. Yes. I'm reading this like Duhast. <laughs> the... The S. The S. Yeah. How come we're not a heavy metal band? Uh. Probably because my bass playing skills are severely under par, and, uh. You, uh. We don't have a drummer. That's a thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's an issue. I wrote a heavy metal bagpipe song the other day gonna be badass I just need like a, you know a, a heavy metal band to back it up do you know like music notes and shit yeah nice I'm like a real musician yeah I get like paid gigs yeah but I mean I feel like you can play and not know how to sight read music that's true actually quite a lot of bagpipers in Colorado kind of do that uh which would make you an exception yeah uh, I know a handful of people who do, and it's it's always encouraged by the higher level ones, as most of the teachers are, you know, because I think maybe partially because they get bored of reading sheet music for their students and being like, this is a C, then you go to a F with a high G grace note, or whatever. Yeah. And if you're a new, new at bagpiping, it probably all sounds like a bunch of honking. Right. And I also feel like a large number of bagpipers, like, didn't play another instrument before bagpipes, oddly. Did you play another instrument before bagpipes? No. Now I play a buttload of instruments. Huh. And all of them I'm, like, confused on, because regular people music is totally different than bagpipes. It's regular people music sounds very different than bagpipes. Yeah, that's like literally why I call it regular people music instead yeah. of just music. It's that that it's like a different genre of music to me that I only partially understand because I've had so much exposure to bagpipes. Bagpipes take up a large por portion of your brain. Yeah, something like that. Got a drums coming out the back of your head, mm. especially when the bag is inflated. And all your extra brain cells are, like, devoted to blowing. 